Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. We've heard a lot about Ibram X. Kendi and anti-racism. Well, there's another author out there you should know about. His name is Professor Andre Archie. He teaches at Colorado State. He's an associate professor for ancient Greek philosophy and the author of the forthcoming book, The Virtue of Colorblindness. The Virtue of Colorblindness. That word virtue is very important. He has a different take from Ibram X. Kendi, and he thinks we just ought to judge people by the content of their character. Sound familiar? He makes a very good argument, and he's our guest next. It's time for the Michelle Tafoya Podcast. Professor Andre Archie, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. You know, it's funny. I was watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade, and en vogue which was a, a female group, a trio that was big when I was in college, uh, made an appearance during the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And what I remember s- striking me about this performance is here these women are now, they're older, but they sang their song, Free Your Mind, which the, the key line is, free your mind, don't be so shallow, be colorblind. Uh, and I, I was thinking... That's such a different message from the one that we're getting these days from the like of Ibram X. Kendi and so forth. And yet you've got this book coming out, The Virtue of Colorblindness. It comes out January 2nd. People must get this book. Tell us what your definition of or what the general definition of colorblindness is. Yes. uh, Well, again, thanks for having me, Michelle. Yeah. Um, Yeah, The Virtue of Colorblindness. It'll be out January 2nd. And um, it's important because I define colorblindness as we're, we're born with descriptive qualities. And one of those qualities is color, right? And so my position is we shouldn't assign moral merit to ascriptive qualities, be it race, gender, et cetera. Either we possess them or we don't possess them, whatever color we are. Mm-hmm. And so where we are in society Today, we have victims and victimizers. The victims tend to be people of color, African-Americans in particular. And then we have victimizers who tend to be white people. And so the idea of colorblindness, the definition that, that I just gave you, we've completely marginalized any notion of colorblindness, that tradition that we work so hard for to achieve. And of course, it's aspirational, but we've gotten closer and closer that's been marginalized. Those who argue what I'm arguing were considered naive. But once upon a time, that was sort of the default position. And so I'm trying to revive that tradition because in the public square today, we have so many pernicious racialist ideologies. And you mentioned Kindy, Kindy in particular, but you have Robin DiAngelo. Yes. You, You have Coates, right? And then you have the godfather of it all. Derek Bell, he doesn't get discussed a lot, but he really laid the foundation for critical race theory. And then after the death of George Floyd, 
all of these ideologies, racialist ideologies became supercharged. And that's mm -hmm. what we're dealing with today. Well, the term that we hear so often now is, you know, yeah, like you said, oh, colorblindness. No, anti-racist is the thing you have to be. I think there's a book out for children called Anti-Racist Baby. That's right. So what the idea of it sounds good. Like, yes, I'm against racism. I'm I'm an anti-racist. But what is it? What does it really mean? What what are they when they these proponents of this notion of anti-racist? Uh, what are they trying to do? What they're trying to do is to reorganize society. And so basically what, what Kindy's arguing is that America is systemically racist. And because it is systemically racist, the traditional values that we come to associate, for example, with the Enlightenment, with the founding of our country, all of those values and beliefs and principles need to be reorganized. They need to be uh, reformed, if you will. And so when Kindy talks about anti-racism, he wants to practice a positive type of discrimination. That's what he calls it. And so in practicing this positive type of discrimination, we're going to pick winners and losers. And we've seen this over many generations with affirmative action. Now, that wasn't justified on the grounds that Kindy eventually justifies it. But it's, it's the same sort of argument that we're gonna pick winners and losers because America is systemically racist. And so we have to reorganize some of the basic principles that we live according to. And that is, we're all equal, right? We can't all be equal if America is systemically racist. So Kindy wants to start in the classroom, both at the primary and secondary level. And he wants white children in particular to become very conscious of their privilege. And he wants black students to see that they're, it's hopeless, right? There's nothing that they can do to really flourish in America unless we change, we radically change institutions, very important institutions, the family in particular. So, so Kindy's idea of anti-racism sounds innocuous. And for a lot of people, they don't know the difference right. between anti-racism and, and, and what exactly he's, he's proposing, but it's a radical ideology it, it undermines the family, it undermines the community, and it's the opposite of colorblindness. It, well, it's very start, dangerous. I, I, from what I've seen, I agree. When you talk about undermining the family, how does it do that? Well, because it, 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 as you know, with anti-racism and not just anti-racism, but with DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, the traditional nuclear family is considered to be not applicable to people of color, to African-Americans in particular. If we have a single mom, single black mom, that's perfectly fine. Children can flourish in that environment. Why? Because it's unique to black Americans. Now we know that's ridiculous. We know that the lack of a father in the home has contributed to so many ills within the black community. Not all black families, but there's a large proportion of black families that are without fathers and they're strong black mothers. But of course, a black mother can't be both a mother and a father. And so when you think about Kindy, you think about DEI and those who argue in the way that they argue. The traditional family is a white construct. And because it's a white construct, we should be able to have many different iterations of the family 
And those different iterations should have equal value as the traditional nuclear family. And so that has been incredibly, incredibly undermining, especially as it relates to youth in the community, especially youth of color, Blacks in particular. And so sort of the transformation of values and, and, and basic uh, beliefs regarding the success sequence, they reject all of that. Kindy rejects all of that. And of course, who, who does it undermine? It undermines both the Black community and ultimately America. Well, it seems to me that that is the goal, to undermine America. Um, I want to share a quick story with you because in, in one of the articles that I read on at National Review, uh, Kendiism is a dead end. Let's return to colorblindness, you wrote. And I encourage people, I'll post it on my on my Twitter account and elsewhere, but I encourage people to read it. Um, you talk about fighting back and that, you know, people need to raise their hand and say, this isn't right. I disagree with this. Quick story for you. I wanted to help kids learn to read. This is, this is the, I thought I'm so upset about kids not being able to read. I got to, I got to put my money where my mouth is. I got to walk the walk. So I signed up to be introduced to this tutoring program and I did the online training yesterday and 90% of the online training was about DEI, how America is systemically racist. And so how we need to incorporate DEI into our tutoring. This is for K through third grade. And I thought to myself, I, I, I stayed on the, the zoom call. I stayed on, I was listening. I was thinking, how can I get around this and just go tutor a kid and help him or her learn to read? How, you know, how can I get into this system and not necessarily be compelled? But it, it more and more, I was told on the, in this training that I was being compelled to introduce the theories or the constructs of DEI, which are constructs in my belief, uh, into my tutoring. And yeah. so I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to complete it. I couldn't, I thought I'm going to be compelled to teach these kids things I completely disagree with. So this is sort of a nefarious way to to bring this into the classrooms. What what do you think when you hear that? Yeah, no, I, I'm not surprised. And I mean, they're they're starting with a young, right? They want to make it natural. They want to make it natural. I have a chapter in the book titled Comfortable Racism. And so it, it's sort of this middle class exhaustion with the issue of race mixed with anti-racism. And so the middle class, average person, they want to say, well, at least the kids will learn something about our history. But we cannot give in to racism. That's exactly what it is. What you're describing is very nefarious. You've heard of that case, no doubt, or at least the issue that the Wall Street Journal just pointed out, Evanston Township High School. They're going to separate the kids according to race because the black students feel as if uh, they can't be in the class with other kids, mainly white kids who uh, compete at a different level, a higher level. And so they're, gonna, they're, they're separating classes, math, English, and the teacher has to be the same color as the class, the students. And they say it's optional, but it's not optional. And so what, what I emphasize in the book over and over again is that we have to speak up. I get a lot of people who come up to me and they say, I agree with you. But they say, I'm not going to speak up. You're courageous, but I'm not going to speak up. 
nothing's going to change if we don't speak up. Yeah. There's nothing in particular special about me. I mean, I'm concerned about America and 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 the, and the relations between the races. Yeah. I think things have gotten better, but we're going we're sliding back. We are sliding back. I I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, it's um the other thing that coincidentally happened yesterday, I, I noticed on Twitter spaces or X spaces now that there was one of these live conversations going on and it was entitled how we leverage our black power. I'm, I may be paraphrasing, but I thought I'll duck in. I want to listen to this. And I couldn't believe the diversity of thought and ideas and approaches among all of these people who or people of color who were trying to figure out what's the best way forward some of them wanted reparations for sure. Others were like, eh, I don't know. That doesn't sound right. It was really interesting. So one of the things that I think happens is people assume that all people of color think monolithically. And and it, it's not true. And then I think the, the phrase you used is people who think black conservatives are racially confused. Right, right. What the hell is that? Excuse me, but I that that just drives me nuts. Well, yeah, that that's been the 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 line that you hear for many many years, generations of 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 those who are patriotic, those who actually challenge uh ideas that tend to be racialist. Uh, they're always considered to be uh confused or sellouts. So, you know, that's a way of intimidating, but of course there's a variety of opinion of opinion in the black community. It's just that the loudest voices and the voices that get funded uh, tend to be on the left, far left. And in fact, a lot of cases tend to be uh, racist. And so I would encourage everyone to speak up and to support those who are expressing your values. Um, I think that those who tend not to speak up um, their hearts are in the right place, but you know, they, they just don't have the courage. I hope they get the courage because that's the only way that things will change. Yeah. But there's a wide diversity of opinion in the black community. And, and I think that perhaps with, with my book, maybe things will change. Maybe it'll, it'll come into the, the, the public square in a way that it should, it deserves to come into the public square. You mentioned in this article that I talked about in the National Review, Kendiism is a dead end, that Ibram X. Kendi had this position, had this place at a university. $55 million seems to have gone uh, untracked that was funded to his program. And they've had to lay off a bunch of people. And you have said, this is not good. This is sad. This is unfortunate. But so what do you suppose is going on with him? And and how do you suppose his future is is going to develop given all of these events? Yeah, I mean, I hope it uh, undermines his position. I think he's been dangerous for everyone. Um, I can't account for what happened to the money. I mean, I, I'm curious to hear. Um, I have no idea if I think it's Boston University, if they're going to um, make anything public. Um, I, I just find it incredible, or at least it's, it, it was reported that he got the money directly, or at least he was in control of it directly. Um, I don't know if that's true, but that was reported. So you're, fact, a, you're an associate professor. Is that, would that be a normal no, way? Okay. No, that, that would not be normal. I'm not sure wh wh why this wasn't caught or at least, I mean, there, there are a lot of smart people in academia and we have boards. 
And boards tend to have those who specialize in these sorts of things, handling large amounts of money. And I'm not sure what happened. I mean, they have a lot of faith in, in, in Kendi, presumably, or had a lot of faith. But, you know, it's not surprising because there's a local college here. I won't name the name. Uh, it's a small liberal arts school. And uh, we, we took a visit recently. And um, the first thing they said is that we're an anti-racist college. And we're talking about in the top 20 of liberal arts schools in the country. And we were shocked. You know, they're committed to anti-racism. It's in their literature. And for, for a school with, with this noble tradition uh, to be wedded to someone like Kindy, it, it's just mind boggling. It, it's mind boggling. So did you say anything? I, no, I didn't say anything. Uh, I was with my daughter and she was g getting a tour, but um, it, it, it's just, it's shocking. It's shocking. Do you think they would have said that to a white child getting a tour? Uh, well, well, they said it to everyone. Oh, so you were part of a group. Yeah, it was a part of a group. Okay. And uh, the, the, the uh, I forget what her position was, but uh, she was giving us a tour. But before they give the tour, they have all the parents sit. And they had a slideshow and, and they said, we're an anti-racist uh, uh, institution. And, and everything they do is dedicated to that proposition is that we're, we're anti-racist. We couldn't believe it. Do you think that they truly know what they're propagating? You know, I do, because I, I, I read all of their literature. Um, I'm familiar with all the individuals in the literature who are dedicated to this this anti-racism project um, and they want to correct for uh, the past. Uh, this institution, presumably, you know, they, they had some uh, ugly things happen in the past and they want to rectify those things. But this is not the way that you do it, especially and, in, it, it, at an institution like this. I mean, and so, I, so I, it's, sorry, I, go ahead. No, I'd really love for you to explain to all of us why this isn't the way and what what would be detrimental about this way? Well, I think that ultimately what makes it detrimental is we have a very diverse society. And because we have a diverse society, we need a common narrative. And I think that common narrative is supplied by the idea, the proposition that we should be colorblind. We should judge each other based upon our characters, not based upon skin color, because it's character that's the, the locus of moral agency. Once we move away from that, we get a type of competition, sort of a, a, a zero-sum game in which we're at odds with one another because there's no common ground. There's no common narrative. There's no sense of patriotism or, the, or, or a sense of the principles that have defined us as a country. And I think without that common narrative, and because we're so diverse and we're becoming more diverse, we can't quite get our border in order. Um, hmm. it, it, it pretends a lot of conflict racially, ethnically. And so I think that if we can turn the page, if we can take this idea of colorblindness seriously, and not be naive about it. We, we, we're aware of our past and our history, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. We can listen to our better angels and we can learn. And I think we, we, were, we were 
on that trajectory, and then with the death of George Floyd, these other ideologies um, began to dominate the public square. And so it's starting to take us back a bit, but I still have faith. I love that you have faith. It gives me faith um, that someone like you is in the classroom. How do your students respond to your message? You know, I, I, I'll occasionally sort of slip in some of what uh, I've written about and what the book is about. I tend not to get too political in class. Um, but when Shocking. Students, yeah, that, yeah. That's, I mean, you're probably the unique in that way. <laughs> I'm probably unique. You're right. I mean, there's probably others who uh, are quite political. But, um, you know, I respect what I do. I have a great institution and my faculty. They're wonderful. Um, but students are curious. They've read my stuff and they come by office hours and I certainly talk to them and um, they're open. Uh, some students aren't open, but they're not combative. So I, I do what I can outside of the classroom in terms of, of what it is that I'm promoting. Uh, but I think intuitively, a lot of students recognize to be colorblind is intuitive. That's what makes us Americans. Well, to be colorblind also says to every student, every young person, you're capable of doing whatever it is that you want to do, that your values and your character and your strengths allow you to do. Instead of being told it's hopeless for you because you are the victim, because you there are two classes of people, whether you want to call it oppressed and oppressor or victims and victimizer, as you mentioned, uh, and then we have these victim Olympics. Wait a minute. I want to be a bigger victim than you because right. then, then maybe I'll get more out of this, you know? So not only am I a person of color, but I'm a, I'm a queer person of color. Right. Now I get to be even more victimized. And it seems that that's where we are. And, and you still have faith. I sometimes feel like, wow, is the toothpaste out of the tube? How do we go back? But we, as a, you know, civilization we have ebbs and flows swings back and forth in in ideology um, that's right that's right and 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 you're absolutely right i mean there are t there are days when when i read about what's happening in evanston i was like wow why don't we hear more about that um so sometimes i think that people have become comfortable with 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 the type of racism that uh that they can put up with and then other times um i think that you know things are changing in texas florida Politically, things are changing. Uh, some of these practices have been outlawed. Um, and so I, I think that's positive. Um, so I do have faith. I think that's sort of in our DNA as Americans. And and we just have to speak up, though. I think that's we, the key. We have to speak up. Um, and, and so let me just talk to you about a couple of current events that I think dovetail into this, this notion. Uh, we have the I don't know if you've heard about this, the mayor of Boston, Massachusetts, who put out an invitation to a Christmas party to electeds of color. Mm. Now she initially, so there's a city council of like 15 people, seven are white. The other eight are of color. She initially accidentally, her assistant sent the invitation out to all of them and then had to rescind it from the white people on the oh. council. So we're talking about the mayor of Boston a person who is being paid by taxpayers, having a party hosting and promoting on her official platform, a party that is for electeds of color. I've heard people say today, she absolutely ought to just step down. I mean, she's clearly not represent. This is, that to me is racist. Am I going too far? 
No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's ridiculous. And hopefully there's an outcry. I mean, um, I, I hadn't heard about the case, but there was a similar case, I think, in Philadelphia. There was a white artist who was commissioned to do a, a Harriet Tubman, uh, I think, statue in front of uh, the town hall or I forget exactly where. But once it became public, a lot of people, people of color demanded that, you know, they should rescind that inv- that invitation, um, but but this white artist was specifically chosen because of his talent, um, and they ended they ended up uh, taking it away from him, and um, you know they they did sort of a citywide competition to do the Harriet Tubman, but you know I I I just think it's 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 hurtful and it's it's harmful and it's racist. Yeah. yeah. The other situation we're dealing with right now is the anti-Semitism that is bubbling up and boiling over, really, in so many cases. To me, it's a similar problem. I mean, you know, and for some reason, it's a little bit more tolerated. For example, you talk about the George Floyd incident, and I'm here in Minnesota, right in the heart of where it began. Um, and I remember the nights of curfew and so on and so forth. And and I, I remember just watching the city deteriorate in flames and violence and anger and rage. And yet October 7th happens and we still have hostages. And instead of rage, people are blaming Israel and you've got these and you've got these anti-Semitic messages on campuses. I don't know if you've experienced that where you are, but they're being tolerated. And so now you've got Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, and I think they're afraid to have her step down because she is a woman of color. It, it just it's it, it's nonsensical to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think if she were, were not a person of color, she would have been gone. Yeah, for sure. Um you know, I, I think they're, you know, they, the left talk, they talk a lot about intersectionality, but what about a- anti-racism and anti-Semitism? You know, there's intersectionality there for sure. And I think that when you, when you think about BLM and some of these other movements, they've always been anti-Semitic. It's just that now it's clear um, what their beliefs are. And I think that uh, the Chicago chapter of BLM, you might have seen the the paratroopers. Uh, that, I mean, that was awful. Yeah. But I think that what you're starting to see um, is how racist these organizations are, BLM, um, even even DEI. You know, there are tinges of, of anti-Semitism because they want to talk about privilege. And now they're getting very specific in terms of you know, sort of dividing uh, groups up in particular, you know, Jews are different from, or Jews are similar to, to whites, presumably, but they're more privileged. And so let's focus on them. So it, it's, it's a mess. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly anti-Semitic. And I think, again, there we have to stand up and, and, and speak out. It seems to me, Professor, that we're getting so sliced and diced into little groups of, That's right. you know, <laughs> Uh, for me, I'm going to join the group of five foot six brunettes with Hispanic <laughs> backgrounds who really didn't get as many opportunities as blonde sportscasters did right. when I was working in sports. That's going to be my group. And we are very much not privileged. Uh, I'm I'm saying this in jest, but, right. you know, when you start having people saying queers for Allah 
And, you know, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, Black Trans, you know, what you slice and dice till you get this. What happened to just being a human being where your values and your characters defined who you were? I, I, I sometimes wonder if we're such a society of convenience now that people don't have enough to do. And so this is the way to create problems we can somehow solve. I know. Maybe it's boredom. Maybe it's boredom. <laughs> so, so when I when I think about, you know, early on back in the 80s, when when there was a lot of discussion of, of multiculturalism, um, a lot of people thought it was innocuous. Right. I mean, we can appreciate other people's cultures, but there was sort of a hard edge to it as it evolved. And groups wanted their group recognized sort of in law, you know, recognize my group. The individual is not as significant as the group. And so I think if you fast forward you're starting to see the fruits of that, right? We have all these different identity groups. We have higher education uh, catering to those I, I, those identity groups. We have safe spaces. So I think that, you know, that there's a sense in which we all want to be recognized for everything except being Americans and believing in certain, having certain values, right? They don't have to be the exact values, but there's some basic values that we should subscribe to as Americans. And I think that would sort of minimize to a degree sort of this uh, slicing and dicing that, that you speak about. We, we certainly need to get back to that common narrative. And I think so many people would say, oh, be, to be American is to be a white supremacist and racist. When in fact, you know, I, how, how, if someone came to you in a classroom setting or any setting and said to you, well, to be an American and that American flag is a symbol of white supremacy, you would say what? How would you respond? I would say that's ridiculous because, I mean, look, look at someone like Frederick Douglass. Yes. He was so influential in terms of MLK, but it's not as if MLK got these principles, sort of plucked these ideas, principles out of the blue. He was a part of a tradition. That tradition began, at least here in America, with Frederick Douglass in part, but it also extended to the Western philosophical tradition. And so I tell people, don't think about the founders in their personal lives, right? Because of course they were flawed. We're all flawed. We're all flawed. But think about the principles that they, 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 they gave us as a country and the idea that we can, we can, we can use those principles. We, we can embody those principles to flourish as individuals, but as a country. And that's what has brought us so far as a country. And, and, and for black Americans in particular, it's those principles that have animated and, and made possible many of the, the, the gains that we, we have uh, as a community. And so I think once we abandon those, those values, uh, we, we see what the results are. I mean, unfortunately, the Black family, I think, uh, is, is sort of a symptom of that. Um, so, so I tell the young, I tell those who, who say the flag uh, is racist, um, you know, we have to look at the principles that animate our country. And that's what you should be focusing on, because that will allow you to flourish as long as your mentality, your, 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 your outlook isn't clouded by these ideas of America being systemically racist. But we continue to be told that it is by tutoring groups, by universities, um, by Whoopi Goldberg on The View that, you know, the George Floyd moment was a racial reckoning that this is a, this is, you've got a bad cop and there's still controversy around that whole incident, but this is 
one instance, and it was not shown to the country in all of its fullness. Um, and this has led to this inflammation. There are many people, Professor, before I let you go, I have two more things that say this is all rooted in Marxism, that the best way to ruin this country is from within. And you do that by dividing people in any way that you can and dispiriting them, making them feel as though ashamed of their country, ashamed of their history and self-loathing about it. And they seem to have gotten a certain amount of that accomplished here. And so how much of this do you think is rooted in someone, some other powers just wanting to bring down America and Israel at the same time? Yeah, no, I, I think that's certainly the case, uh, perhaps Marxism um, of, of a particular type, but it's a type of thinking that is structuralist for sure. And of course, Marx, we associate Marx with, with a type of structuralism, economic structuralism. But I do think that if you want to undermine a society, you go to its leading institutions, especially education. Yeah. And that's where we get Marxism. And it's been successful for the most part. And I think that our leading institutions, places like Harvard, the Ivy Leagues, um, because they're so influential, once you get into these places and you make radical changes in terms of the principles that have defined us, it filters down. And because it filters down, it's, it's that much more insidious because we just take it for granted if, if the Ivies are doing it or if they're saying it there, then it must be okay because those are smart people. So I think that this idea of Marxism, this idea of structuralism is certainly the case. We're being attacked from the inside and it's our structures that are being attacked. And once you do away with the structures, you can pretty much do anything you want with the country. And, and, and I think to a certain degree, that's what's happening today. All right. I ask all of my guests uh, because we need hope right about now. You mentioned a couple of things. What is your biggest source of hope for the future right now? My biggest source of hope for the future. Um, I, I think it's the belief that Americans are intuitively uh, colorblind, that they know what's right and what's wrong. And they might not know it in a conscious way, right? Maybe they haven't read the Federalist Papers or some of the documents that so animated Frederick Douglass, but I think intuitively there's still a sense out there that we should treat each other as individuals as much as we can. That's sort of the default position. So I, I genuinely feel as if that is our source of hope. And I think from there, the, 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 the need to speak up will come eventually. We just need to give them the right sorts of arguments. <laughs> and there's the plug for the book again, The Virtue of Colorblindness, available January 2nd. Please put it on your bookshelf, put it on your tablet, wherever you can put it. Yes. Have an open mind to this notion because it is so common sense and so virtuous, right. as the title would imply. And uh, I'd take that over anti-racist baby anytime. Amen. <laughs> Professor Andre Archie, uh, congratulations on the book. Thank I you. hope we can talk again because you are a prolific writer and thinker and um and your point of view deserves amplification. Thanks, Michelle. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Great questions. Thank you. And as I say to my audience at the end of every podcast, you know what? Sometimes you got to be brave to speak up and we need it more than ever. So be brave 
and do good every single day. And uh, it might help you sleep better. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Michelle.